Welcome to Inside the Upside Down on the Mike Ricksecker audio journey on MikeRicksecker.com. Welcome to Inside the Upside Down. I'm Mike Ricksecker, author and ghostorian. Thanks for joining us on a fantastic Edge of the Rabbit Hole earlier this evening. Ohio Paranormal Syndicate was in the house, and we had a great discussion with our co-hostess, Vanessa Hogel, and no, our chat shenanigator, Shauna from Edge of the Rabbit Hole, is not joining us this evening. She got called into work. She may join the chat a little bit later on, depending on how long we go. She'll probably be walking in the door toward the end of this show, so she may join us in chat. And I really do appreciate all of you who have stuck around here for this uh, late edition, <laughs> after hours show that we call Inside the Upside Down. Yeah, that, uh, you know, playing on Stranger Things, of course. And so we're gonna be talking about some Stranger Things this evening with fake history, that's what we called it. So fake history, hoaxes, um, just shit that's been made up over the years about a number of these different haunted locations and the ramifications that that actually plays into, um, you know, history and the way we end up viewing these places. And we're gonna get into, uh, I'll just kind of tell you right off, Skirvin Hotel, Amityville, Gore Orphanage, you know, to name a few. I'm sure you guys are going to name some places down in here. And as far as the ramifications of how that plays into history, if you guys saw the cover art for this, the thumbnail, did you notice the eyes? If you guys know who that is, somehow I'm going to go there with this. So uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And there is Carrie Parrish. So this will be interesting with Carrie in the house since Carrie is a, a, a major history buff. So uh, yeah, definitely will be interesting there, especially with who we get into later. So um, see a lot of uh, familiar faces down there in the house. Donna Gorton has the uh, chat uh, duties this evening. Donna Gorton, one of our Cheshire cats. She is Cheshire cat chatting the chat. <laughs> I think I have that right. And uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I see a lot of our uh, deep down the rabbit hole Patreon patrons in there. And uh, yeah, we do hope that Kerry uh, is feeling better. He's been going through a lot of stuff. I mean, my, my little surgery here with the gallbladder, that's nothing compared to what Kerry's been going through. So uh, much positive energy to him. So um, yeah, there's at least Rebecca Garden. There's at least one popular location that's entirely historical data from uh, the owner's book is all false. Well, we'll get into some we'll get into some locations. So I thought we'd kind of ease into it first, okay? And that we're going to start with the Skirvin Hotel. Like I said, we're going to kind of ease into it, and then we'll get into some stuff. So um, let's pop that up. So the Skirvin Hotel. Now, this one here, this is from my book, uh, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. And the ghost that is, the main ghost is supposed to haunt here is Ellie, the chambermaid. And the issue with, or Effie, I'm sorry, not Ellie, Effie, the, the chambermaid. Now, the problem with 
Effie is that there's no empirical proof that she actually existed. But the story is that, you know, Effie was a chambermaid at the Skirvin Hotel, and she had an affair with W.B. Skirvin, the owner, proprietor of the hotel. And yes, B.D. Flint notices, hey, Oklahoma City. Yep. <laughs> Downtown Oklahoma City. Well, and uh, Effie got pregnant by, uh, by Mr. Skirvin. And when she had the baby, he stowed her away in the top floor uh, penthouse of the hotel. Basically, just uh, stowed her away. She grew very depressed being stuck up there with the baby. And in her depression, she grabbed the baby one day and jumped out the window to the death of both Effie and the baby. And, you know, apparently both Effie and the baby haunt the Skirvin Hotel. So, where does this come from? That's that's the big question. Where does this come from? Because there's no proof that an Effie actually ever existed. But yet, that ghost story has been perpetuated over and over and over again in Oklahoma. So, where does it come from? Now, this is one of those where it's kind of a mixture of of history, there's some legend that gets thrown in there, mixed with some experiences people have had at the hotel, and then let's make this ghost story. So, there are reports there of, it was a man jumping out of the window there at the uh, Skirvin Hotel. Now, at the time that he jumped out, it wasn't the top floor, but you see there, and I brought the picture back up, but you see there at the very top how there's a couple more stories that are there at the top. There's like this line, and there's a couple of floors, and another line, and then these nice, you know, uh, and that's another floor, I guess, on top there. It's, you know, nicely decorated and all that. Well, the original top of the hotel was there below that, um, below that first line, and that is the floor from whence he jumped out so but at one point in time just a couple years beforehand it had been the top floor so at one point in time he would have jumped out the top floor so that's where the whole jumping out of the top floor comes from who's just a salesman from dallas now there is a report of another woman who attempted to jump out of one of the windows from the skirvin hotel not the top floor she was stopped, but it was a woman. She was fined like $11 for drunkenness. And that was later 30s. His his jump out the window was, I want to say it was 1932. And then she tried in 38, something like that. Now, where the baby comes into play is purely off of people's experiences there with the paranormal. So people have heard like baby's cries, the wailing of a baby up and down the hallways. You know, one of the spirits apparently that haunts there at the Skirvin Hotel. So they mix that into the story. They've also seen, people have seen chambermaids, apparitions of chambermaids there. There's even a guy who says that uh, there was a woman that showed up in the shower with him. People have seen chambermaids come out of the, uh, out of the bathroom, into the room, or into, uh, or up and down the hallways, or, you know, through the main doors. You know, they've seen chambermaids there you know, spirits of, and then they basically combined all of this, spirits of chambermaids, phantom baby cries, oh, there was somebody who jumped out of the window, so it's like all this 
mixture of history and experiences people have had and then this story gets created and that's what sticks there now the um i think it was the knicks i think it was the knicks that actually got scared out of their bedrooms the one evening when they were in town to play the Oklahoma City Thunders, and they had a big report in the paper. They blamed their loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, by being scared out of their bedrooms by the ghosts of the Skirvin Hotel, which was uh, quite humorous. So, <laughs> um, very, very uh, funny, interesting, but it helped perpetuate this story that Effie's there because, of course, all the papers, when they cover, oh, hey, they got scared out of the bedrooms, they lost to the Thunder, here's the story. And on and on it goes. So, Pungai Fungai says, I think all these haunted ghost stories or ghost tours contribute to these fake uh, histories. Um, they can. If they are telling incorrect stories, they absolutely can. So, now I've done, um, and there's a $10 super chat from Tom McNicholas fake stories by people that need a life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, thank you for the super chat. But yeah, I mean, that's, and people embellish. And I think as time goes on, the embellishment, people believe that the embellishment is fact, and then they embellish on top of it, and on and on and on it goes. So when I did research for Ghosts of Maryland, Ghosts of Legends of Oklahoma, I went on some of these ghost tours. Does it kind of at least give you a little bit of an idea of, you know, here's some of these different haunted locations in this particular town. Frederick, Maryland was one, um, Ellicott City, you know, they have some pretty good ghost tours that they put on, um, Fort Reno in there in Oklahoma, um, and put on ghost tours, so they give you an idea at least of, you know, the different spots that are haunted. Take the ghost stories that they're telling with a grain of salt, jot down some notes, try to confirm that, you know, and see where that goes, so you know, I used it as a, um, you know, as a research tool, and that's, and that's what I do with a lot of this, so, you know, you hear about a story, and that's really what I do with Effie, you hear about a story, okay, where did this come from, and you start digging into the history, digging into the history, digging into the history, you know, I don't discredit people's experiences that they, that they have, but let's at least make sure that the history of the location is right, so, um, yeah, Donald Gorton, activity sells real or not. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what it comes down to. You know, that's why demons are so popular right now. Demons sell, you know. So, um, Pungai Fungai saying, speaking of Tulsa, took the haunted, haunted Vegas tour in 2007. I wonder how much of the stories are true, like the so-called 666 house and the woman who jumped into the Luxor Casino Hotel. Yeah, it makes you wonder. That's why I always try to back it up with research. Um... Tom McNicholas Stanley Hotel is nothing what it's made out to be. You know, the interesting thing about the Stanley Hotel, and I've and I've talked to people that have spent the night in, you know, the Stephen King room. Now, Stephen King based The Shining off of his experiences there at the Stanley Hotel. Okay, fine. He had those experiences in that particular room. From what I understand, there's other parts of the Stanley Hotel that are much more haunted. Uh, also, the interesting thing about that is... You, know, you watch the movie The Shining and you're not looking at the Stanley Hotel. <laughs> you're looking at the Overlook Hotel. So that that threw me off for years. So, and there is... Did I just scroll by? There it is. Uh, BD Flint, $10 Super Chat for the city. Thank you very much. 
really do appreciate that as always. So, um, and see Karen Lynn River City Paranormal. Hey everybody, sorry I'm late. I didn't get the notification. And that's why we have created the White Rabbit Notification Squad. So, and Donald Gorton is organizing that, but basically White Rabbit Notification Squad, when we go live and share it out so that hopefully people who didn't get the notification, I know we can't make it to everybody, um, but YouTube has that weird thing going on where it sends out some and doesn't, and there's technical reasons for that apparently. Um, but that's why we have the White Rabbit Notification Squad. They share it out, and hopefully with all those shares, people will get the message. So, um, all right. So, and Tom McNicholas saying, I never get it, Donna. <laughs> well, um, so yeah, Rebecca Gardner, I was talking about the Stanley last, but movie was filled with the overlook. Yeah, I was saying that that, that throws me off every time. So, um, yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to keep up with the chat as much, as well as I can. Um, I know before we went live, people were commenting about it's awkward when I'm alone because I am trying to basically deliver a monologue while keeping track of the chat at the same time. So we can do this. <laughs> All right. So that's the Skirvin Hotel. Just kind of ease into all of this. So let's go to, should we do Amityville or should we do the Gore Orphanage? Hmm, decisions, decisions. And thank you, Karen. I really do appreciate that. So really enjoy watching shows. Hate it when you miss them. Yeah, and we always enjoy the, the chat and everybody that's in there as well. So, yeah, both. Well, I'm going to do both. <laughs> I'm definitely going to do both. Have them all lined up. Pungai Fungai says Amy DeVille. All right. There we go. Amy DeVille, we will get to the Gore Orphanage just after. So, Amityville, yeah, the Fungi Fungi, everybody knows that one. Yeah, and, and it's a famous one. So, for the people that catch the replay and maybe people that are just clicking on the video for the first time, we'll give you a, a, one of the more famous ones. So, um, and Donna Gorton is saying, just real quick, um, let me let me come back here. So, Donna Gorton says, I think why it happens is with YouTube, if you click on the bell, it gives you options for notifications of never, occasionally, always get notified so I guess make sure the right option is cho is chosen also I know that there's options there on the phone that cause YouTube used to do a thing where you'd get they were basically spamming you on notifications and so people like turned off all notifications from YouTube so you might need to go back into your phone and say hey I'm I'm okay with getting notifications from there now the reason one of the reasons why people are having a hard time getting notifications now is because of the fact that they clamped down on all those that were getting sent out so um so let's go back to Amityville. Okay, so Rebecca Gardner says Amityville House. I don't believe it was the house. I think it was the family that had attachments. So, all right. So, yeah, Punga Fungi. The Jansen book was ninety percent ninety percent fiction. It was touted as true. I believe it was probably closer to ninety five percent fiction. So yeah, all the stuff with um, the Lutzes and all that. Um, yeah, fabrication. If you look back at you know, the story that was perpetuated by them. And when it first came out, they were saying that they stayed in the house for 10 days. And then as the story grew and they were talking to more news outlets that they were saying they were there for 28 days. You know, what's up with that? 
Um, of course, they're talking about paranormal activity there that had never been reported before and never since. Um, there's their connection to uh, Ronnie DeFeo Jr.'s Butch DeFeo's um, lawyer, where you know, he's basically come out and said, "Yeah, we, uh, you know, we sat down and we concocted that story, you know, over about three bottles of wine. You know, they changed the." Uh, you know, the neighbor's cat who would, you know, the fat cat that would poke its head into the window, they changed that to a, uh, a pig with red eyes. You know, so a, a lot of those different things uh, where they, they created this story. The, uh, the, you know, the slime on the walls they got from, you know, it was influenced by crime scene photos of the, uh, you know, the fingerprinting that was done. So, um, Tom and Nick, I should show you my pictures of the Amityville house. That would be interesting. I'd, if you have pictures, I'd love to see them. So, yeah, Bethany Warner's lived in now as a gate around to keep people from looking in the windows. They've also changed the address. It's no longer 112 Ocean Avenue. So they even uh, got rid of those windows. They, they put in regular windows instead of those quarter moon windows that made it look like eyes. So, yeah, I mean, the real horror of Amityville was in the DeFeo family. I mean, first of all, you know, you had you had all of the abuse that was going on. So, you know, the, the abuse on, uh, you know, you know, big Ronnie, you know, Ron, Ron DeFeo Sr. You know, he was beating his wife, he was beating the children. You know, it was just, you know, ridiculous. Uh, of course, there were all these uh, mob connections uh, you know, Butch uh, was using drugs, you know, and there's even, you know, stories about him, you know, delivering drugs to the Lutzes. So he, before the murders even happened, he already had a connection to the Lutzes. So there's a lot of, lot of, you know, it's just, I mean, it's sad. It's appalling at times, you know, the things that happened. And then, you know, the ultimate tragedy, especially with the young kids, you know, uh, getting killed. You know, it's uh, a very, it's just a horrible tragedy. And that's the real horror of Amityville. And as far as the house is concerned, actually being haunted, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if to some degree it's haunted. Of course, the people that have lived in it since have said that there are no hauntings at all. But, of course, if I was living in there afterward and somebody was asking me, I would probably say no, because I mean, they were getting, I mean, there were a ridiculous amount of, you know, people that were making a pilgrimage to the house and were basically destroying their property, you know, to the fact that, to the point where they ended up having to change their address and all this crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I'd be saying, yeah, there's nothing going on just to keep people away, even if there was something going on. So, you know, that makes sense, uh, makes sense to me. So, um, yeah, it's, um, is it potentially haunted? I mean, I, I believe it probably is to some degree, sure. I mean, just by by the DeFeo family, maybe. I mean, people point out the ghost, ghost boy picture, and we've talked about that on here before. It's a highly debated photo, whether it's real or not. They say that nobody was up there at the time when it went off, although the glowing eyes could be you know, from the fact that they were using the uh, an IR camera, uh, you know, the uh, the one uh, cameraman there did look a little bit like, 
you know, the boy, <laughs> just the way his hair was cut, he had a similar shirt, but the shirt wasn't identical. So, you know, it makes it tough to, to, to say on that. And people have even noticed things behind in that one, like behind the boy or in one of the other uh, doorways and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Hans Holzer was in there and says, you know what? All this stuff that the Lutz has reported? No. None of that stuff was going on. There's a pissed off Indian here. You know, because it was, you know, Native American burial grounds. You got a pissed off Indian in here, sure. Um, but none of this about, you know, this, you know, demon with black hands and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, that wasn't going on. Um, so, yeah, Sean, what are the pick of the boy? Yeah, that's what I was just talking about. So, um... Rebecca Gardner, there's a YouTube video made by the current owner of The Conjuring House and claims all the stories are false. Um, you know what's interesting about that, Rebecca, is that prior to that, I mean, she's, this is what I'm going to say about that. She's pissed off about all the notoriety that's been brought to the house. You know, kind of like people that bought the Amityville house, getting pissed off that, you know, all these people were making a pilgrimage to the house and, you know, destroying the property, things like that, you know, trying to take a piece of the Amityville, all this crazy stuff. So they're denied, 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 denied. Of course, when Conjuring comes out, you have people doing the same thing. I mean, they people went and they and destroyed Bathsheba's um, headstone. And they since repaired it, but, you know, doing stupid stuff like that. And they went to the, and they went to the house. Um, they were doing things there as well. So, sure, she's getting pissed off about that. So she's going to start denying, denying, denying. The thing is, is there's older videos out there. I don't know if they're still out there, but they, they were there. Um, that had Andrea sitting down with her, um, visiting the house, doing a tour of the house, talking about all the ghost stories and things that have happened there. So, yeah, she only started denying the claims of the house being haunted after the Conjuring movie came out beforehand. Yeah, she was like, yep, stuff happens. So, those videos are out there. Um, so, Sean, no one ever reported any activity after the story. Do you think it could have been uh, PK Manifestation? Um, by whom? By one of the Lutzes? that would have continued to happen after they left. So the Lutzes said that they were into transcendental meditation and they were already into stuff like that anyway. Um, there were drugs involved as well. So who knows what really happened. The neighbors, you know, kind of peeking in the windows said that, you know, they, they never unpacked their boxes. So there's actually questions as to if they even really lived there you know so i'm of the camp that all that was a hoax and somebody mentioned uh chris yeah i've i briefly spoke with chris years ago one of the uh, lutz children um he has a different last name these days but um and, and i've seen his his documentary too and i mean Quite honestly, it could be one of those you continuing to cash in on the story. I mean, you're talking about 
an industry that has is between the books, between the movies, between all of it, generated over a billion dollars. So you would want to keep writing that as much as you can. I mean, they just came out with another movie, uh, Amityville Awakening, you know, so they're still going on with this. I mean, it's it's a movie franchise now, so they're, they can keep doing whatever the heck they want with it and keep generating money out of it. And so, again, this is what I'm going to get into a little bit later on in this, the long-term ramifications of perpetuating this false history, this false narrative, you know, the the fail murders kind of get glossed over. It's like, okay, it happened. And now all this, you know, haunted crap is going down in the house and it becomes all about the hauntings and, and all that. You know, and just like I said, glossing over the fail murders when there's still a lot to be questioned about all of that. You know, were there more than one you know a, a accomplice in there? You know, it, it does not seem it was just Butch, you know, um, there's some evidence to to point toward, you know, Big Ronnie being out of bed at one point or had gotten up. And if that happened, he's 270 pounds. You know, Butch was a buck 40. He's not going to lift Big Ronnie back into the bed. So there would have had to have been somebody to lift him, lift him up into the bed. Um, there being a second murder weapon that was used to fire a round off at uh, at the mother, you know. So, you know, the the police just said, you know, one, it was the thirty eight Marlin, but, you know, there's evidence as to a, a second weapon. And when you listen to Butch, his story changes so often, but he does involve Don into it. And so a lot of people do speculate that Don was involved um, in that, she may have committed more of the murders than her brother. Of course, Butch would have finished off Dawn. Um, there's some that try to attribute it, you know, all to her, except for herself. You know, some that say, well, it was, you know, Butch just shot Big Ronnie and then uh, Dawn. I don't know. Because um, when you listen to Butch, you know, in the same conversation, he'll say, you know, you know, I was... You know, I was guilty, or I was accused of all of the murders, but I was only guilty of one. Well, if you hear, that statement would say, okay, well, that would have to be Don because she was the last one to go. But then, at the same time, he'll turn around and say, well, you know, I, you know, I did shoot my father. <laughs> and then, in letters that he sent to his grandfather later on, Mike Briganti, and you kind of wonder how much of it was emotional because Briganti mob connections kept wanting to know what really happened, what really happened, what really happened. And it almost seems like an emotional thing, you know, where he says, I killed them all. Of course, he said on the stand, I killed them all. So you don't really know what the hell actually happened. Um, yeah, Donna, Ronnie changes the story with every telling. Yeah, pretty much. So we'll never really know what happened. But there's, there's a lot, there is a lot to indicate that he wasn't alone in it. But I don't think we'll ever really know the truth. Um... Um, okay, from Donna, Andrew wanted me to remind you of a woman's face in the ghost boy pick. So, um, yeah, that's what I was kind of saying before, where people have noticed things in the background and some of the different doorways and what have you in that picture, that people do notice different things. Um, all right, so apparently Judy had a question. Uh, per Judy Wilson, what about the Sally house? Um... 
Well, I haven't done a lot with the Sally House, so I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen, of course, the, the Sally House on a couple of shows. I know um, I'm, I'm friends with Denise Pridemore, who's done a lot with the Sally House. Um, I just, because I haven't been there, I really only know it as a, just kind of glossed over it a little bit. You know, so I, I don't know enough to speak on the Sally House. I know enough to speak about Amityville because, I mean, that was one of the things that influenced me into uh, getting involved with the paranormal. And I've just watched and seen and read so much on it that, you know, I have quite a bit of knowledge on a place like Amityville. Uh, but I haven't done enough with the with the Sally House to actually talk on it. So, um, and Pungai Fungi, uh, the only one with Margot Kidder, yeah, recent, recently passed away here, Margot Kidder, from the original uh, Amityville Horror. Now, I mean, as a horror movie, Amityville Horror as a movie is fine if you just disconnect yourself from, you know, the history and all of that stuff. Um, you know, the second one went into, I mean, basically it was the DeFeo family, but they didn't call them the DeFeo family. And... They basically try to make it out that Ronnie got possessed and, and killed the family, um, you know, and that and that goes back into the whole, you know, when he's like, well, you know, somebody appeared to me with black hands and handed me the rifle. Um, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's see what else you guys have. Again, it's a little difficult doing a monologue and then trying to... Uh, um, check out the chat so yeah that's where Judy asked about the Sally House so many people are talking about that place and how there are videos from Ghost Hunters well yeah Ghost Adventures was there too and, and stuff like that so you know I, I don't know I mean there's you know some of the evidence seems quite interesting from there I just haven't done enough on it to really talk on it um down a Ronnie DeFeo book was my intro to the paranormal in a way, right at 11, yeah. Um, Tom McNicholas, what about Annabelle and the doll still being haunted? Um, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. You know, um, it wasn't haunted to begin with. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that, that claim it was. Is it still haunted? I don't know. I mean, it's still kept there behind that glass, right? So, I just find it, I find it funny that you know, you know Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll, a very large Raggedy Ann doll, and of course the movies make it to like this sinister porcelain doll. And the in the first movie had it all silver, and um, you know it's. Uh, I guess there's one way to find out: bring it out of the glass. You know, <laughs> you know. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of like Robert the doll. You know, you have to ask to take a picture or, you know, something happens to you, right? Yet, the museum sells replica Robert the the doll dolls. <laughs> so, so, were they okay with making a replica of the doll? You know, so, and there, there's a, a lot of superstitious stuff with all of that. Um yeah, it's spooky. Don says the doll in the movie gave me anxiety because it was so damn ugly. I mean, they made it as a creepy doll, and that's why they did it. You know, they Hollywooded the thing up. You know. Um, all right, so let's get on to uh, 
Yeah, Annabelle is in the War and Occult Museum. Yeah. And yes, Horror Cells. So let's get into the Gore Orphanage. Let's see here. Where is that? Gore Orphanage, right here. Okay, so the Gore Orphanage, the interesting thing about this is the Gore Orphanage is not the Gore Orphanage. There never was a Gore Orphanage. There was an Orphanage of Light and Hope. I've actually seen it two ways. Orphanage of Light and Hope or Light of Hope Orphanage. I've seen it written both ways in various old newspaper articles and what have you. So it kind of makes you wonder what the heck the name was. I think it was actually officially Light of Hope. But this is the house that they say was the Gore Orphanage and burned down with, you know, children locked in their rooms. And the story, the the legend is that old man Gore ran this orphanage. He was a mean old man, would lock the children up in their rooms at night. And then one night the orphanage caught on fire and all the children died. And yes, Candy, I did a video on this place. Um, this is actually right up the road from me. So did did quite a bit of research on this. And um, so this family here is the Wilbur family. The original builder of the house was uh, Joseph Swift. And after the Wilbur family left, the, the sad story here is that four of the grandchildren died of diphtheria. Is not really known as to whether they died in the house or not. And yes, Supernatural did a episode on the Gore Orphanage. I haven't watched it, but just the fact that they did it on the Gore Orphanage, and I know that they probably went down the way of the legend and not the truth. I probably don't even want to watch it. But in any case, um, after the Wilbers moved out, it sat dormant for a number of years. The Light of Hope Orphanage was up the hill. It wasn't down here with this house. So when the Light of Hope Orphanage existed, and I hope I have the right one here. So when the Light of Hope Orphanage existed, the Wilbur Mansion or the Swift Mansion down below was vacant. Now, the orphanage did buy the land behind it to use for farming, but they did not actually use the house for anything. They had their own houses up at the top of the hill. And it's it's a bit of a hike. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, a small hill. <laughs> it's actually, these days, it's a cliff. It's actually kind of dangerous to walk up through there. Vashana and I have. And so there were some atrocities at the orphanage. So the orphanage was run by the Sprungers, not Gore. Gore was the original name of the road because it was a uh, making a map correction known as a Gore. And an orphanage was appended onto the road name uh, when the Light of Hope Orphanage came in to signify, hey, this is the road you take to get the orphanage. So there never was a anybody with the name of Gore that owned the orphanage. They were the Sprungers. And they were, yes, they were mean people. And they did go to trial because of the abuse that was going on there. So they had a boys and a girls dormitory. They had other buildings that were up there. There's actually a, uh, a house that's there now that had once been the church that they had built up there. So all that stuff happened up the hill. Um, you can see here some of the girls. They were just a, a, atrocious stories about the, the way that um, the baths were done. You might get a bath you know, like every 
uh, two weeks and after 15 kids have already been you know bathing in the water you know the little bit of food that they were given just just nasty stuff um, you know they really didn't get much education it was only when there wasn't any work that was going on at the farm that they might get a, a lesson you know so it, it was really bad um, so being a you know mean old man of the orphanage yeah that happened but it wasn't mr gore and it wasn't down at the swift mansion so um again the where did it go so the swift mansion was this the orphanage building you can see the house there <laughs> you know that house there you can see at the bottom uh right hand corner is not this house <laughs> it's just not um they're in two different locations close by and the sprungers did own a piece of the land uh that this house owned but they did it for farming so and there's the actual name of the orphanage light of hope so here you can actually see in this article this is funny you can actually see in this article the two different names that they use so light of hope orphanage is to close doors and then they start off the the first paragraph the light and hope orphanage <laughs> it's like come on get your name straight so whatever it was named it was not named gore orphanage right and again the real atrocity if we go back to here so you see the children here these children did not survive these children here perished Within the span of seven days, four children in the span of seven days died of diphtheria. Very, very sad. There are stories of seances being held within that house to try to reach out to the children after they perished. Uh, the Wilbers were spiritualists, and so, um, so whether or not there are really seances held in the house, we don't know for sure. But, and then see, that's one of those where, you know, we talk about, you know, fake history. I mean, a lot of what people have said about the Gore Orphanage is fake. And so this one, you kind of have to use, uh, trying to find out whether or not seances are really held in the house. I, I, you're probably never going to find it. Um, there is some evidence as to them actually being spiritualists. So you can almost draw a line now. The, uh, the grandmother... Um, did apparently flip her shit and just went loony afterwards. She would um, uh, she would set the table after the uh, children had died. You know, basically making place settings for them. Um, so there's a lot of things that happened there, and these are the actual uh, graves of, of the children. So, from Judy, did Gore burn down? So, yeah, this is, um, let's talk about that. So, did this house, this is the Swift Mansion. People call it Gore, I know, but it's not actually Gore. <laughs> gore was just the name of the freaking map correction. <laughs> it's a wedge-shaped piece of land to make a map correction. That's what a gore is. Um, did it burn down? It did, actually. It burned down in 1923, seven years after the orphanage closed its doors. 
So the orphanage started there in 1902 or 1903. I think it was 02. The Wilbers left the house there in the late 1800s. It was 1897. Five years later, the orphanage comes in up the hill, up there. Yes, they bought the land down there to use for farming. They didn't use the house. I imagine the kids probably played in the house, you know, going up and down the hill. Hey, let's, you know, to farm the land. Hey, let's play in the house a little bit. Yeah, probably. With the dormitories and everything for the kids were up the hill. That's where, that's where everybody stayed was up the hill. All the um, trials and everything happened in 1909. Um, Mr. Sprunger died like two years later. And then in 1916, the doors to the Orphanage of Light and Hope closed. And those buildings up there were, you know, those properties were sold, people bought the houses, what have you. Seven years later, kids playing around in the abandoned house set the thing on fire. A lot of people attribute a school fire in Collinwood in the Cleveland area because this isn't too far from Cleveland. You know, it's like 30 miles away, 35 miles away, something like that. A lot of people believe that the Collinwood fire that did kill a lot of children um, was transposed onto this legend of Gore Orphanage. So, um, let's see what else you guys got. So, person I go to, Tower of London. Um, what about it? <laughs> um, Bobby Mackey's real or fake? Um, interesting. So, well, the well is there. The well is there, so that's real. Now, all the stories associated with the well? I don't know. Was Johanna real? She was probably a real person. But did all that stuff happen? I don't know. That's that's a good question. So it would take some, um, you know, take some deep research to figure out. And the problem with a lot of these places is that there may be too much that's gone by or buried to really know. You know, I think a lot of these places are going to want to suppress the truth as much as they can. I think eventually you could find it. So I think there's parts of Bobby Mackey's that are at least true. And is it haunted? A lot of people that I've, I haven't actually investigated, a lot of people that I've talked to that have investigated will say, yeah, it's it's real. The the There is really haunted. Um, and yeah, I do hear that they charge a lot, Don. Um, so I'm missing the question about, I just saw Tower of London. I mean, is what part of the Tower of London? <laughs> what story? So... So, yeah, it was a slaughterhouse at one point. Bobby Mackey's, yeah. Oh, are the Tower of London stories real or fake? So, there's a lot of history there. And we're actually going to get into some English history here in just a little bit. 
Um, I think the history associated with the Tower of London is probably as best as they can put together. There's been so much research done on those buildings and locations out there. Um, and I'm going to say this because of what I'm going to get into later. I think that there's enough research that's gone on to... <laughs> I'm dancing here, I know. To at least bring it as far as they want to for right now. Now, the Tower of London doesn't have any... As far as like the hauntings and, and all that stuff, there's no reason for them to perpetuate um, a, a piece of history to say, okay, this, this place is haunted, so we're going to keep... Sorry, we're going to keep this piece of history in place so we can perpetuate this apparent haunting. Because it's so it's so much already of a tourist attraction and people want to go there, um, you know, just to see the building, to experience the history and, you know, to, you know, experience, you know, the, the Tudor dynasty and, and all of that. There's enough of that that I don't think they would want to suppress anything that would lead <clears throat> into one of the ghost stories because I already have such a... a attraction there for so many other reasons story i'm going to get into a, a little bit later here um it's a very different tangent um but i will say what i will say is that if they have if they believe that retaining a part of history in place so that they can continue to profit yeah, I think that they'll do that, that they will keep that particular piece of history with supposed history in place. If they come across other evidence that doesn't support it, I don't think they would bring that to light. If this current story just drives people there and drives people there and drives people there, you know, um, Tower of London, I think, just has already so much history that's going to drive people there anyway. But like with our story later on, if it's the only reason why people are being driven there, then I don't think they're going to reveal a truth. If whatever the story is, that is the reason why people are going there, and you find some other evidence that says, well, maybe that didn't happen, I don't think they're going to want that to come to light because then people won't want to go there, right? So, um, but I thank you very much for the question and that was from did i say who that was from i think that was from snaggletooth right yeah so patrick thank you very much for that um gettysburg yes gettysburg is very haunted beat three airspace uh judy wilson do you think gettysburg is as haunted is as haunted as much as they say yeah actually <laughs> having been to gettysburg a few times now um I will say that it definitely is. This is actually very disappointing that they don't really let you do anything there at night, um, because you can you can be standing out there and you you hear and actually see sometimes, you know, you know phantom cannons going off. Um, you know, people have seen the um, you know soldiers marching. You know, it's it's really really interesting. So. Um, It's I, I, there's a lot of stuff that's been thrown in there for tourism's sake, you know. As far as 
the, like the town is concerned. Um, but I mean, there's so much tragedy that happened there, and there is definitely a palpable energy you could feel out there when you're touring the battlefield. That yeah, I don't doubt much of Gettysburg. Um, some of the specific houses and their little ghost stories and and what have you. You know, you you might be able to you know him and haw over some of that stuff but when it comes to some when it comes to the battlefield ghosts yeah i i don't doubt that stuff um so uh donna how much of these old places in their haunted lore from long ago do you think comes from poor record keeping in the past Aha. <laughs> we are going to get into that we're going to get into that very much so <laughs> Because the poor record keeping and these stories being perpetuated and something I am drawing this into, which is not really a haunting, but the perpetuation of false history, okay, for profit, um, yeah, I, th I think, sure, uh, you know, a lot of these stories come into place because, yeah, poor record keeping and there's not a way to refute it. And you're going off of, well, you know, here's a story and it gets embellished. And here's the embellished story gets embellished again. And so it goes on and on and on and on. And you have to go back, you know, deep to find that one little kernel of truth. You know, what I opened up with, with Effie, you know, I researched the hell out of that hotel um, you know, because I knew the Effie story wasn't true. You know, the moment when I f was, you know, first started doing the research, you know, okay, well, cool. There's this, you know, story of Effie, the chambermaid. And the first little glimpse that I caught of, you know, but the problem with the Effie story is that, you know, there's no proof that an Effie ever worked there. I was like, oh, wait a minute now. So here's a ghost story, a legend, but there's no proof of her having it ever existed. Well, where did this come from? And so I was digging, 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 trying to find the original, you know, kernel of truth. And there seems to be a couple kernels of truth that got mixed together and then embellished over the years. So, yeah, there's a lot of poor record keeping. And, okay, we're talking about, you know, haunted locations that may not necessarily have, you know, a real big impact, you know, globally. You know, so, okay, the, the, you know, the story of Effie at the Skirvin Hotel is probably wrong. So what, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what does that matter? You want to look at something like Amityville, though. Oh, no, wait a second here. I mean, that's a, that's a billion dollar franchise. You know, that has impacted people's pocketbooks. It's impacted the people that moved in after the fact, you know, um, of course, certainly, you know, the original murders impacted the families and what have you, but, you know, following that, you know, I mean, people have, you know, they made pilgrimages there, you know, so, you know, people bought it hook, line, and sinker, and so, yeah, lives were certainly affected, you know, and while some people may say, well, you know, it might be superfluous, and some people it wasn't, so that's a little bit different. Um, so, Let's continue going down that rabbit hole, going back into our edge of the rabbit hole theme. 
Um, let's talk about something even bigger. Something that has influenced the world. Because Amy DeVille is it's more local, right? And Enfield was called, uh, you know, England's Amityville, right? So it was known, it was known worldwide, but didn't affect, on a major global scale, this false history. Let's go into. You guys remember the thumbnail for this show? Up in the upper right-hand corner, those eyes. Anybody identify those eyes? By the way. Just kind of curious if anybody actually recognized those eyes. And you can see part of the face too. Anybody? So, let's see. Donna, I'm, I'm hedging my bets, who would like to see that there is intelligent hauntings at the tower. It's probably mostly residual. But, uh, yeah, I kind of wonder if anybody noticed those eyes. Alright. I'm going to go ahead and put it up here. Rebecca saying, I thought it was George Washington. <clears throat> no, it wasn't Margot Kidder. <laughs> it wasn't Margot Kidder. Shakespeare. What? What? What are we talking about Shakespeare for? Are you kidding me? Yeah, Shakespeare. Anybody here familiar with uh, the Shakespeare authorship question? Well, there is. There actually is a big question over the actual authorship of the works of William Shakespeare. Why? Well, <clears throat> most of the empirical evidence that we have for Shakespeare actually having written those works comes after he died, not before. The interesting thing about Shakespeare is that there's no actual proof of him as a writer. So, he came from Stratford-upon-Avon, and there was a man there named William Shakespeare, S-H-A-K-S-P-E-R, sometimes spelled with an X. And there is some, there is evidence of him having lived there, um, but not as a writer. And there was evidence of him being involved with the theater, but again, not as a writer. So, where the hell am I going with all this? Well, it's kind of the perpetuation of um, false history for profit. So, I'm just going to throw out, you know, some interesting tidbits. So, the the one that just really nailed it for me, okay, was um, Diana Price's book, um, The Unorthodox History of, or Unorthodox Biography of Shakespeare. So, you know, the question was, because if you look at, okay, just throw out a couple things here. For one, like, here's his, if I could bring it up, here's his signatures, okay? There's six. None of them were actually on any uh, manuscripts. There are zero manuscripts of William Shakespeare. These are his signatures, all different looking. Um, three of them were from his will. Um, others were from some other business documents. So there's evidence of him having like made business deals, like selling grain and stuff like that in Stratford-upon-Avon. And then his will, which left, had zero mention of anything literary on there. 
Um, and what's also kind of an interesting thing is that when he died, his son-in-law made a remark of just, oh, my wife's husband or my wife's uh, father died today. Nothing about, and he had made notes about other writers that had died in there or that he had met and never said anything about, oh, yeah, uh, it was Shakespeare, you know, the great Shakespeare. No, it was just, oh, her father died. Um, yeah, his, uh, his children were illiterate too. So great writer had illiterate children. So some interesting things here. Um, so if he, if he lived as a writer back in the day and, and her thing was when Diana Price did this book was, um, and this is just like one book of, of many written on this subject, you know, she wanted to look up, you know, well, maybe it was, you know, common for back then of records to, you know, have been lost and, you know, not have any proof of these different, you know, writers having ever written anything. So she went through, you know, a bunch of the writers of the day and went through like this list of like 10 different things, evidence of education, having been paid to write, uh, direct relationship, manuscript, da, 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 evidence of books owned, written in, borrowed, notice of death as a writer, all these different things. Ben Johnson, one of the more prolific ones of the day, had everything. And kind of goes down through this list. Some of you may have heard of Nash. Um, you know, here, it keeps going. She, she went through like two dozen people. You, some of you have probably heard of Christopher Marlowe, on and on and on. So, and, you know, even like this one at the end, John Webster, who probably nobody knows, you know, he had three. Shakespeare, nothing. Nothing. So, okay, there's no actual proof of him as a writer. Well, now check this out. This is kind of interesting. And I have a place where I'm going with this, so bear with me here. So, let's take a look at... Some of you may be familiar with the Shakespeare Monument. Let me get off this thing. So there's the Shakespeare Monument that many people are very familiar with. This thing is in um, Holy Trinity Church, Stratford-upon-Avon, right? Um, you know, it's not always looked like that. So it was built, they um, say, in the 1630s, uh, after you know, long after he had died. So um, even... If I go back to that, that's from 1623, so that's like seven years after he died. So this is even longer, this is more, almost 20 years after he died, the, the monument. But that's not the way it originally looked. The way it originally looked was like this. There's no quill, there's no piece of paper, he's holding a sack of wool. So what's going on here? Why did it change over the years? Interesting. Hmm. That's not the only thing that's changed over the years. So, um, oh, what the heck was his name? Uh, David Gallick. He was a um, actor. 1700s. Loved Shakespeare. Um, went to his you know supposed hotel hometown Stratford upon Avon to um, you know find out more about him he wanted he wanted to find his birthplace and so um, let me show you what is this is what they say today is his birthplace and so he went there looking for his birthplace. He's the one that started the, the festivals there that they do for Shakespeare. 
Right. Well, this entire house cannot even be confirmed as being the birthplace. So John Shaxper owned so owned property on this street, but nobody. But there's no definitive. You know, this is the house that he owned and where his children, one of them being William, would have been. So the an older. Um, where is it? That's House Modern. That's the monument. Did I not bring it in here? Oh, there it is. House Original. Okay. So, this is an older uh, actual photo of it. So, this is from the 1800s. So, I have an arrow to what was originally perceived by Gallic as the birthplace of Shakespeare. This one little piece, you can see that there's, okay, two doors next to each other. It was a shop. It was a butcher shop for a while. So you see the window there and the counter and all that stuff. That was its own domicile and for a while perpetuating that as, okay, this is the birthplace of Shakespeare. Well, now today, it's this whole freaking thing, right? So you want to talk about history being modified. Well, they're physically modifying it from this one little thing. If that is even really the place where he was born, probably not because they can't confirm the property, <laughs> um, to this. And again, even before that, changing to that from this. And he can't even prove that he even existed There's a a large number of people that believe that Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, is actually a pseudonym for another writer. Um, William Shakespeare from Stratford upon Avon. Um, just that's just a few things. I mean, he the traveling that he would have done, the education he would have needed, just doesn't match up with the stuff that was written in Shakespeare. <laughs> so. This is, you know, going from simple haunted locations, okay, haunted locations perpetuating some sort of fake history. Oh, you know, no big deal. It's just a house. You know, it's just, you know, a, it's just a story. It's just a legend. It's okay. It's okay if we perpetuate this lie, if we per perpetuate this untruth. Really, is it okay? If Shakespeare wasn't really Shakespeare, if it was actually a pseudonym for some other writer, do you realize the worldwide ramifications that they have, that that has? I mean, China is building a replica of the, you know, quote-unquote Shakespeare village. You know, the birthplace and all that. They're, rebuilding, they're building a replica of all of that. That has showed you that isn't original. But China's going to build a replica of that to honor William Shakespeare. And if, he, if it was really some other writer, I mean, the works, okay, the works themselves were written, of course. They were written by somebody. But Shakespeare from Stratford-upon-Avon, there's a lot of evidence that says probably not. So that has a lot of ramifications you know, worldwide, globally, you know, I mean, there's the Egyptian history, 
You know, so all that's kind of on the literary end. You go to the, into the historian end. Um, you go into like Egyptian history. There's artifacts, you know, buildings that have been found that they'll simply say, well, it looks like it could, you know, disprove something over here, but it doesn't fit into our existing timeline that we've created. So it can't possibly be because it doesn't fit into our timeline that we've created. So, you know, we're going to toss that out or say it's an aberration or whatever and not actually think for a second, well, maybe we had it wrong to begin with. Maybe we need to make a correction here. You know, I'm going to check your guys's, uh, questions here because I know I've been kind of running on for a bit. I went on a, a long, um, I went on a long rant. Um, so why put up the monument at all? So the Shakespeare monument, so there's, there's more than just the Shakespeare monument in there. Um, there's other, uh, monuments and effigies to other people as well. So it's kind of a thing that they did back in the day. So he, um, I mean, Shaq Spur himself was a, uh, I mean, he was a businessman in the town. So like the documents that they have from him, um, or in regards to him were like all these business transactions. So going on another tangent, there are conspiracy theories that, um, cause it's believed that Ben Johnson wrote the text and what have you on there. And even going back into, um, let me bring that back up. Going back to his, uh, engraving off of the first folio so and i didn't bring up the whole first folio and it looks like we have a ten dollar super chat from candy orton down with bs i want mike's memory lol <laughs> um this is what i've this is a bit of what i've been doing while i've been <laughs> laying on the couch with my surgery so if you look even back at this so this was the engraving from the first folio and ben johnson wrote um the little introduction to the reader, and then he had a poem in there um, talking about Shakespeare. So even if you look at this, um, there's things that are just off about this. And the the engraver was, you know, world-renowned. He's very, very skilled. Um, so in this, Shakespeare, or who we, is supposed to be the figure of Shakespeare, has two right eyes. The, um, the curves at the top are both for the right side because your your curve is on the, in, on the inset there by the nose. Well, he doesn't have this, two right eyes. He also has two left arms. <clears throat> if you look at the arms, um, the the right arm, if you like superimpose that onto the back of the left, it would, it would make like a complete arm. <laughs> so it's, he has actually two left arms in this. The style of the collar is not actually any style of collar that they ever used. And then there's this weird line that goes from his ear down to his chin. A lot of people say that it looks like a mask. So if you are a conspiracy theorist on this, um, you could certainly look at that as saying, yeah, they were basically making a caricature of this person and letting those who had that eye for it. And even the way Ben Johnson wrote his little intro, because he says, 
basically, don't look at the figure. Look at the book. So kind of these hints of, yeah, the person that we've put here isn't real. These works, all these things, all these plays, all these, everything. These are real. This figure isn't. So when it comes to the monument, because people believe that Ben Johnson wrote the, um, um, call it the the words <laughs> I can't think of it right now um, <clears throat> the engraving that's there uh, they believe Ben Johnson wrote it well if Ben Johnson is in the know on all of this they believe that there's some different clues within what he's written there to basically kind of say yeah this this thing up here is not really this guy it's this guy Shakespeare but not our guy Shakespeare so there's a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff on this. So I'm just kind of glossing over it a little bit just to kind of make the point that um, perpetuating false history and a false narrative may seem trivial, you know, in the short term. Well, you know, we've got this story going on here. It keeps people coming into our house. We get paid. We're good. The long term of that can have some massive ramifications. You know, the, uh, you know, the, the Shakespeare house, you know, Garrett going in there saying, yeah, yeah, this shop here, well, it's on the street. It's on the right street. And actually, it could have been a second street. There were, John, John Shakespeare did actually own other property within the town, but that street was completely gone. But he did own property here on this street, so okay. Well, this this building still exists. The shop is available. Fine, we'll say it was this shop. And now they own that whole big house. He didn't have enough room for that one little shop. Didn't have enough room for tourists. Got to make it big. They own a bunch of other houses around the town now. Saying, oh well, yeah, this was his this was his wife's house, and this was that person's house, and da 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 da. It is a billion dollar industry that has worldwide ramifications. <laughs> so just glossing something over and saying, oh yeah, it's no big deal. It could turn out to be a really big deal later on. I mean, Amityville, you know, that's a really big deal. Now they're still 40 years later coming out with movies on this place. Even though most people, you know, I believe know it to be a hoax. So all right, what other questions do you guys have down here? Um, so, broadcast crashed for Carrie. Sorry about that, Carrie. Um, he was a ghostwriter. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's cute. Um, I'm scrolling up here. So... And there's Candy Super Chat. Um... Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Don saying, real haunted history is just not as exciting as all the hype they create about places. You know, I don't know about that. I mean, yeah, I get that the stuff with the Lutzes sold a lot. All the stuff with demons these days sells a lot. I've, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, um, maybe it's just me. I know Shauna's like this, too. Um, but 
there's something exciting about digging into all this stuff and uncovering the real truth. There's, you know, it's a mystery, it's an adventure. There's really, aside from, you know, the, um, you know, rolling boulders and um, fist fights and all that stuff, there's almost something Indiana Jones-ish about it as you're, you know, researching and discovering all these different things and going through old documents and, um, you know, and discovering old artifacts and exploring historic places, you know, it's, it really is an adventure. So, uh, and to me, there's a thrill in just that, you know, if something jumps out and, and goes bump in the night, I mean, that's fine. It doesn't usually happen like that. It's usually a lot more subtle, um, you know, so I guess you know it sells for it sells for the silver screen, but to actually go through and experience it to me, it's it's better the way we're doing it. So, um, that was the monument question. Oh, okay. Here's um. Was he was he Queen Elizabeth's son? <laughs> so there is a lot of speculation out there that Queen Elizabeth, um, who did not have any children in the, for the succession, is believed she. Some people believe that she did have some bastard children. That yeah, she did have lovers and she did get pregnant a few times and, you know, she would be spirited away to go have a child and the child would immediately be placed into a different home because she didn't want to, um, she didn't want to, I almost want to say she didn't want to be saddled with children, but she didn't want that line of succession established, um, if that's true, um, because it would have essentially ousted her from the throne. I mean, anytime somebody went into, you know, that, that became king or queen, there was already immediately people plotting against them. And of course, they would use a child as a pawn. Um, and so she didn't, if it's true, she didn't want that. So, and, she, and there's the the classic statement of, you know, when, when she took the throne that she pointed to her, ring, you know, to signify she was not queen and said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm married, uh, you know, to my people or however it was worded, you know, she's, she's married to the country. She's married to England. So, um, what else am I missing here? So Carrie, yeah, she had no children. She was a quote unquote virgin queen. Carrie, you really think she was a virgin? <laughs> uh, so she, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was her nickname. That's why we have the state of Virginia. It was named for her. Um, you know, on on paper, she had no children. Um, and so, you know, people would throw that argument back and forth that, well, you know, historically, she's not supposed to have had any children, but there are people that believe that she did. So, um, I'm not going to sit here and question it one way or the other. That's not where this is going. Um, Betty and Wayne, 
Uh, Queen Elizabeth was the writer. She couldn't put her name to the written work, so she hired a man, called him her writer. She dictated, wrote her own plays. Um, people, there are people out there that think it was Queen Elizabeth um, that that wrote the uh, Shakespeare. And there's a lot of different people there. I mean, there's a Christopher Marlowe theory that you know he faked his own death and then he wrote Shakespeare. Um, there's a large contingent of people that believe it was uh, Edward de Vere. Um, he definitely has the pedigree for it. Um, so he would have been the 17th Earl of Oxford. Um, so, and there's, there's a lot. I mean, there's like a couple dozen people you could throw out there as a possibility of who wrote Shakespeare. So, um, let me scroll back down here. So, um... Well, thank you. <laughs> Mike is awesome because he keeps it real great stuff. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so you guys are getting into a lot of this stuff. Um, what scares me is being out of toilet paper. What in the world? <laughs> what did I miss there? Okay. So, all right. Well... Yeah, there we go. Somebody brought up the Exorcist. Exorcist was really a boy. Um, yeah, we 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 covered um, stuff about the Exorcist a couple of a couple of episodes back when we talked about uh, real demon cases. So we talked about the Exorcist there. So um, you can you can check out that show. I'm not going to get into all of that here. So and Candy saying, Mike, thank you for all that you do and the time you put into the shows. Great job, appreciate it. Well, thank you, really do appreciate that, Candy. And again, thank you for the super chat. So I'm gonna go ahead and um, and wrap it up. So I think I covered the different points that I really wanted to this evening. So um, yeah, do I have anything about the Sally House to share? <laughs> again, I haven't, I haven't haven't done enough research on the Sally Sally House to uh, uh, to say. So, apparently, I'm gonna. Did Shauna ever? I guess Shauna never made it in, did she? So she must. I didn't get a message from her either. So she must have gotten stuck at work too. So that's too bad. I was hoping she would pop into the chat at the end. All right. So let's go ahead and check out the super super chat superstars. We have Tom McNicholas, B.D. Flint, and Candy Orton. Thank you very much for the super chats for this episode of Inside the Upside Down. Really do appreciate that. So our Deep Down the Rabbit Hole Patreon patrons, I want to thank you guys as well because you do a lot to support us. That would be Tom McNicholas, B3 Airspace, Zippy Davis, BD Flint, Pamela Queen, and Don Francisco. Thank you all very much for the support that you give out there on Patreon. Donna saying thanks for all the Shakespeare info. Yeah, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I was just, I just briefly went over it. There's so much stuff out there. Uh, it's it's really, really fascinating. So part of my recovery time when I couldn't even sit up to work on the computer was I, I got into that. So that's what I've shared what I was learning about. Um, all right. So Betty and Wayne, I think it's, it's Betty down there. So Betty, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Pungai, fungi. Thank you as well. B3 Airspace. Pamela Rainey, thank you again. And Donna Gorton, thank you for being our Cheshire cat chatting i need to come i need to figure that one out because usually it's our chat shenanigator shauna shenanigating the chat but 
Donald Gordon is our Cheshire cat. So I don't know how to say that one? Uh, Chipper Terry, thank you very much. The Haglin, uh, thanks. Um, last ten minutes, so that's all right. You can always catch the replays. Snaggletooth Patrick, again, have a great one. Spooky Spectacular Dawn, thank you very much. Ken Yorton, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Um, Tom McNicholas, of course. B D Flint, and there you are. Appreciate that. Uh, Diane Hilbert, thanks again for joining us. Both shows, I know it's late here in the East. Uh, Judy Wilson, thank you very much. As always, Tim Schoen, there you are. Appreciate you joining us again. Uh, Karen Lynn, River City Paranormal, thanks for joining us tonight. Happy you can make it out. Um, yeah, Pungai Fungai show's over. Well, yeah, you know, it's like quarter after 12 here. <laughs> We're an hour and 20 minutes into the show. <laughs> uh haunting history so um yeah, lots to share about that place awesome awesome thank you very much for joining us tonight uh, andrew cox thanks again shay carroll thank you as well rebecca gardner thanks for joining us again um oh wait a second from snaggletooth from patrick need a favor from you please my wife is going through two hernias everyone please send her positive thoughts and prayers yes absolutely so people that uh, Anybody watching this replay, what have you, send Patrick's wife some uh, some positive energy there. Appreciate that. Uh, who else do we have? Um, all right. Um, I think I'm going to scroll back down. Uh, Carrie Parrish, of course. And, oh, Claire Dyson. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Anybody else wants a shout out, please go ahead and throw it down there. I'm going to scroll back down and close this out. So, um, yeah, Cheryl Midkiff, there you go. All right, and Katie Palmer, fantastic. All right, I think that is going to be it now. All right, really do appreciate it, guys. Thanks for joining me this evening. So next week's um, Edge of the Rabbit Hole, we have Amelia Cotter coming on. We'll be happy to have her back as we gear up for our uh, Paracon, Hunter Road Media Paracon coming up here June 9th. Sorry, I get a little tired now. <laughs> so um, she is one of our Hunter uh, Road Media authors. She will, of course, be there. She'll also be uh, speaking on what is real about the <laughs> about the paranormal show. Since she's on the RIP Files, which has been running in Japan for quite a few years, and they're finally I guess starting uh, now to come to the U.S. Yeah, even though the investigations have been here in the U.S., it's been playing in Japan. So uh, we'll be happy to have her back. So, um, yeah, Donna, I'll rest here in a couple hours. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you very much. You have a great night, and we will see you next week. And, of course, you know, Friday Night Ghost Rides will be coming up, so you'll see me. <laughs> All right, have a great night, everybody. Take care.